Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. Unless something is done and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You'll pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment before the monsters came. Humanoids from the deep dive. Welcome to the podcast Humanoids in the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the meanings and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Each episode, we'll see Guess and myself give our take on an important movie, monster, and or film, and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore. So today's episode is is really special to us it uh, because... We're trying something new. We are covering a film festival. And so for the next few weeks, some of our episodes were, are going to involve us breaking down um, and doing reviews of some of the many titles that we are seeing from the Fantasia International Film Festival, which, as we are recording, is happening right now. Fans of the show can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, wherever your podcasts are served and follow us on Twitter at HFT Deep Dive. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. I'm an entertainment contributor for Forbes and Looper on everything genre film and everything monsters. And uh, I'm I'm so happy to introduce our co-hosts for, for this episode. Uh, first, Andre Couture, uh, HFT Deep Dive co-host and editor. Thank you, Andre, for coming on the show. Yeah, no, this is a fucking blast. Uh, and and uh, and then also Mike Vaughn, uh, who's the founder of the home release review site, The Video Attic, in addition to being um, a stellar source of cult classic knowledge for this show. Uh, thank you, Mike, for, for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, with that, uh, it's... So basically, the, these episodes are going to involve... We've, we've just been pouring into... Uh, some of the films of the Fantasia International Film Festival. It's its 25th anniversary. It spans from, uh, correct me if I'm wrong or make me look smart in the edit, but from the 5th to the 25th, so it's most of August. And there are just so many good films of, of different genres. There's there's noir films, there's experimental movies, there's traditional horror films. Uh, so we're going to be kind of also not only is this our first coverage but we're going to be covering films that aren't necessarily horror films that aren't necessarily even fictional films each week for the duration of the festival and then probably one wrapping up afterwards we're going to be doing reviews of a couple films a piece that we just really loved or or had questions about or just really wanted to dig into further so they're not all going to be monster movies but they are all going to be worth talking about and Mm -hmm. Uh, worth checking out if you folks get to, you know, see some of the films at Fantasia. They're not all going to be monster movies, but they will all be movies. Yes, <laughs> that much is. They are motion pictures. Technically, they will all be movies. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. At that's going to be a little bit different format than usual too. We're going to kind of rotate around talking about whatever whatever films we want to talk about uh, from the week's offerings. Uh, at the Canadian cinema. With that, uh, do either of you have a preference? Who goes first? Um, I 
don't mind kicking it off. Okay, so um, my first one is Alien on uh, Alien on Stage, and um, it's basically about a group of Dorset bus drivers um, that spent a year creating a serious stage adaptation of the sci-fi horror film Alien. And uh, basically, their um, village hall show is a crushing flop, and they are not really sure like what's going to happen with it. But then it, it actually gets a second chance um, to um, play at the famous uh, London West End uh, for one night only. And um, so, you know, the, the big thing is, you know, will they pull it off? Um, mm-hmm. So that's just a pretty brief summary. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's a really fun, uh, charming film. Um, it's not very long. Um, it's it's almost like, have have you guys seen Waiting for Guffman? Oh, yeah. I have not. <laughs> yeah, I know where you're going with this. For me, it's almost like Waiting for Guffman, but it's like a real life kind of version of that. Um, and you know what's kind of funny is like waiting for Guffman also has like an on stage mm-hmm. alien <laughs> situation. So um, yeah, so this this was um, like I said a lot of fun. Um, the filmmakers do a really great job at kind of uh, you know talking about the um, the cast and um, what's what I really like is the movie doesn't actually kind of um, like, it's not making fun of um, these um, this motley crew that they have. Um, and, oh, it, it's also worth noting that um, the show that they put on is uh, for charity. Um, so it's mm-hmm. like for a really good cause. And um, yeah, it, it's just, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's very um, short. It's like 83 minutes um, mm-hmm. credits and um, yeah, it, it's, you know, obviously don't want to spoil it, but a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's great. It's um, like the characters are, are kind of wonderfully odd, but they're not like, like I said, the, the filmmakers, um, they don't really, it's not like, look at how weird these people are. Yeah. Um, it's like a celebration of like the underdog. Yeah. They're like um, do it yourself love of and like desire to do something with this iconic film. Yeah. So like I wanted to open it up and see what y'all thought of it. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I love how, so the, the documentary is formatted um, in such a way where it, it has like these, uh, like introductions uh, to like the cast members and like the director and like all of the other like uh, people that were involved in uh, the original production and then the, the show that the documentary uh, builds up to in, in such a way where it, it actually takes the, the visual motif of like the mother um, computer screens yeah. and like they even show some clips from alien, uh, you know, just to like, just to throw you into, um, their, their, their inspiration for, um, for putting on the show. And it, it's super fun, especially when, uh, they make it look like the buses that they drive are like these, um, uh, like space freighters. I mean, they don't make it look like that, but it's, it's, um, 
giving it that feeling of like them yeah. still thinking in character and also just like framing uh, just these ordinary bus drivers as like performers. Um, and it it's a really nice uh, tongue in cheek way to uh, just like point the tone towards just how how enjoyable the the production ends up being uh, just to keep it slightly mm-hmm. vague about it. Um, but yeah, the, it's the, uh, it's the real life, uh, like waiting for Guffman, but as a direct adaptation of alien, uh, and, and yeah, I, I think, you know, like, um, I think like the effects guy, Peter Lawford, um, like he was just so like such an awesome character. Like he, did so much cool stuff with the props. Like you could really tell that he was um, like so into and enjoyed his work. And, and that's, I mean, you know, I think that like everybody like loves a really good underdog story. And Mm -hmm. I think that, that like, that's like the hook of this. Mm -hmm. And I think like, that's such a good simple way to get, get you on board like instantly. Yeah. And like his, uh, his effects for the show, like they, they do devote some time, uh, like in his like workshop and everything, um, showing like how he's making certain things like the, the alien's tail. And then like his idea for like the face hugger when, when they do the, the scene of, uh, um, Kane going down to the, the eggs on the ship. I mean, sorry, uh, on the planet. And then I guess it is a ship, uh, and then, like, the face hugger just coming out of the egg. Because, like, we all remember um, how that looked in Alien. But, like, to do that on stage, like, you don't have editing at your disposal. You don't have um, all this money to to throw at, uh, like, an effect to be, like, visually perfect. Um, and, like, that's, mm-hmm. that's something that... Uh, the audience certainly doesn't expect, but also even appreciates even more that uh, it is specifically imperfect. And it's, mm-hmm. it's such a joy yeah. to see like both like how, how the effects were built, conceived, and then like the execution of them really gives you that, um, that scope of just uh, the satisfaction. It's like, it's like nothing else. And you know what's interesting, and this is something I noted in my review, um, that it, like, Alien, so I had to look this up because I, I wasn't really quite sure, but, like, Alien was, like, by no means, like, a small-budget movie. It was, like, $11 million. But it kind of has this, like, really great, rough-and-ready kind of lived-in mm-hmm. feel. Yep. So it almost kind of lends itself to something that feels a little bit used um a little bit kind of wonky um Mm -hmm. like inherently like even from like jump um which uh you know i think is kind of awesome because like you know even though that was a fairly big budget i mean especially for 1979 um or like 78 when they were filming it but like um you know it, it really still was like kind of like i almost likened it to like star wars where like you know they cannibalized all these model kits for the death star 
I mean, they clearly just used like modified real life things just to make, you know, the sets. So, I mean, it's kind of like brilliant to do, you know, alien, like a stage set kind of like that. Yeah. I, I, Cause I feel like, and, and, you know, I, I haven't, um, I'm, I'm still watching it. I haven't finished it before this episode because I'm a great planner. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, one of the things, like like you're saying, Mike, that that I think bodes so well is, you know, if you look at the really the stuff that really lasts from this, especially like '70s genre film, um, like your your Alien, obviously, like you just said, and then also like Star Wars, um, I think partially lands so so well, in addition to having good scripts and everything, is because they feel so lived in, and um, but to get that feeling, you know, it it took hour like hours and hours and hours it's, it's it's a labor of love in the same way that that these people put in the work out of just kind of love for it and I, I i love that feeling so far and what i've seen these are such really nice kind of cool people to begin with so it's really fun and they're really easy to like root for uh it was funny like today i my review was like a while ago um and one of the um, actors, the actor that plays Ash, actually commented this morning on my um, review <laughs> <laughs> from Fives uh, Nation. And, like, that was really cool. Like, that totally made my day. And, um, you know, it's, I mean, as, as like, someone that loves to champion little movies and, yep. like, you know, little ragtag productions, it's it's always fun when like it's actually legitimately good you know you you know feel good about saying great things about it just because it's um you know i think like the filmmakers did a great job capturing this and i think that you know the uh you know bus drivers that put on this amazing production like did a really awesome job too so i think it's you know it's it's really win-win. So yeah, um, really fun. Um, probably one of the, the breeziest movies probably of the festival. Um, mm-hmm. As far as like feature length goes. I mean, it, it's it's like one of those that like if you watch something particularly heavy and you want a nice palate cleanse, like this is a, definitely a go-to movie uh, yeah. for sure. It's also very heartwarming That's too. awesome. Oh, I love it because I mean, like we we all have a a very deep love for, and also personally kind of have a DIY ethos. You know, we don't we don't put all the work we do into the show because we're all professional podcasters. You know, like it's for the love. It's for the love of cinema. It's for the love of these types of things. So so I I just I love watching that. It just makes me so happy. Yeah, it, it's uh, exactly. I mean, it's like one of the it's it's the celebration of the quote unquote misfit. Um, mm-hmm. The like I said, I keep using this phrase, but it's just, it really is just like the easiest way to describe it is like the underdog story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I. I mean, personally, I think it's definitely so far one of my favorites. Um of the festival so far love it love it um folks at home if you get a chance to to attend the uh fantasia fest either digitally if you're in canada or in person check it out 
And uh, uh, Andre, would you like to go with one of your picks? Yeah, um, I'm going to keep it in the uh, the realm of documentaries here for my first one. And this is one that has been uh, in the festival circuit for quite a while, uh, but since mm-hmm. um, it is available through Fantasia Fest, I was finally able to to dig into this, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's um, the Severn Films produced um, documentary on folk horror called Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, a history of folk horror. Uh, it's directed mm-hmm. by Kirla Janice. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Uh, but yeah, uh, David Gregory of Severn Films is one of the producers on there. And I believe at some point they'll most likely uh, put out a home video release of it. So uh, it's one of those titles mm-hmm. that um, already has like a, a distribution plan like set, which is uh, interesting to say the least. Um, the, the documentary is split up into like six separate chapters, um, each going into a specific aspect of folk horror. Um, and it actually really just kind of points out how, how wide the, the just umbrella term of folk horror actually is. Because um, mm-hmm. when you think folk horror, like your, your mind might jump to like the Wicker Man or the Witch or um, Witchfinder General, um, Twins of Evil, that sort of, like those period-specific genre movies surrounding like witch hunts, pagan cults, and everything. But that's only really one specific sub-genre of a (laughs) sub-genre. So... They, they split it up between um, British folk horror, which is what everyone sort of thinks of first when they think of folk horror. And they go into uh, like Wicker Man, Witchfinder General, every, pretty much everything I just mentioned. <coughs> but then uh, they, they open it up quite a bit and they move into um, like American folk horror and those are probably some of the most intriguing ones because then you can go period, you can go um, modern day. Um, as long as it's a horror story surrounding uh, like a folk legend, a folk tale, uh, it, it doesn't matter what time period it's taking place in. It, it counts as a folk horror story and um, Mm -hmm. it it makes a really interesting case for uh, um, for Bernard Rose's Candyman. And I completely Mm -hmm. was like bowled over by all of these. um, They're sort of like many deep dives into uh, different folk horror films. And uh, it, it really does like make you think more about, uh, how influential uh, folk tales, folk stories are to just um, everyday life in general. N- not even going into uh, the horror aspect of um, the, the subject of this documentary, but like just how influential on people uh, folk tales, like legends, 
is. Um, and it's, it is quite a lengthy documentary. So unless you are watching this for a film festival, I would recommend watching it in chunks. <laughs> yeah. Which it's very amenable to structurally. Cause it definitely is like yeah. finally demarcated. Yeah. And the, it, the chapters are like, they, they don't bleed into each other that much. So you could totally just, uh, I could see this being released in like a mini series format. Um, yeah, yeah. Or even just like all at once, but it does clock in at just a little bit over three hours, um, which does like really kind of point to uh, how exhaustive this documentary is and like all the points that they're making. Um, and I will guarantee you that once you finish this, like your, your watch lists will be so long. <laughs> So, Mm -hmm. so long, but, uh, um, lots of really good things to look forward to. Um, so yeah, yeah, like I, I think this is, uh, definitely, I mean, this isn't specifically a Fantasia Fest submission, but it's, um, it's still definitely a standout for sure. Uh, and this is something that if you enjoy folk horror or if you enjoy, uh, period horror at all like this is a must like you you should see this so that's that's yeah. my sort of encapsulated review there yeah I, I couldn't agree more andre um just to just slightly pitch in um i i also want to say that it has you know it it's such an organized and and comprehensive walk through the different traditions in in folk horror. Uh, cinematically but there's tons of it's not just talking heads like there's a lot of um really interesting clips that kind of help you get a feel for Mm -hmm. each one so even though it is long it's not just people it's very informative but it's not just people yakking at the camera yeah and it never uses those uh, instances of clips from films as an excuse to just like fill in the time it's giving you uh context for what they're about to address or what they've just addressed and um, yeah, it's not like when I brought movies when I was an instructor to class. Yeah, just <laughs> where I'm like, we, I want to not teach for yeah. 40 minutes. Here's a three hour documentary. Have fun. Um, <laughs> uh, but it also has um, these really, really awesome and beautiful um, like intercuts of um, and this is uh, so Guy Madden did some work on the um like handmade, uh, I don't even, I don't know if it was like stop motion, uh, like animation of just like um, art and photos and like collages that he does like in um, sort of. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, it's that. just like in between segments, like to mark uh, the in between of like within each chapter. And like it's yeah. it is so yeah. cool. Like it, it doesn't it's not telling you anything is just like it's it's a it's a design that goes in between um specific interviews and like topics and films within each chapter uh and it's just like it it took my breath away it was amazing Mm -hmm. that's actually pretty awesome because i really like um his movies Mm -hmm. guy madden so like my winnipeg is like it it like lives rent free yeah. in my head. 
I don't know what else I, I can add. Just that, like, I I think that um, the diversity of the scholars was pretty excellent. Um, you know, not only just from like filmmakers like Robert Egger, but then they had like um, really good genre historians like um, Alexandria Heller Nicholas is um, really awesome. I've I've reviewed a lot of her um, like commentary yeah. work, but I know like she has like like so many fantastic books and um, like it's pretty awesome so yeah like there, there's just such a um diverse group of of um interviewees like if they're talking about japanese cinema they will they they'll have somebody that's like mm -hmm. immersed at, at, you know in that yeah um, mm -hmm. yeah it's it's also worth mentioning that so, they do dip into uh like yokai because those that is uh japanese folk horror and yeah it's just yeah. like yeah. you, you you just don't realize how expansive it is uh, until they show it. Yeah, because well, I don't because it has a lot of and how culturally diverse mm -hmm. too. Yeah, I don't know if you all caught this, but like they showed a clip from One Hundred Monsters, which I am so excited to finally see yes. with the um, the Arrow box set. Um, like it's like real. It's it's like they just used maybe like one clip of it, but I'm like, yes, I want to see. Oh, this. you and I, me both. I, I want to see this so bad. Um, it, it's something I've seen like clips and stills from, and I'm like, give it to me right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that we're. I'm not declaring right now that we're going to do an episode on it, but also we should. We are. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be fun. Um. um I love it. Thank you so much, Hunter. That's such a great choice, and um, yeah, it is. I, I think also both these documentaries too, like have a. They're very different, but they they both kind of clearly have like a love for cult cinema that comes out of it. It's it's super cool. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those um, that like I actually you know did have the luxury of just watching it from home so I could split it up. Um, and I feel like it is such the way to go. I mean, because it's not that I wasn't fully invested. It's just, it's like a lot in one sitting, especially when you um, are asked to absorb so much information. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be going to be one that's like going to be like an excellent home video release. I know Severin's going to like really do it up. Like I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they had like an extended, oh, yeah. um, like version or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Which I'm like bringing on. Um, I so. I mean, I thought all the aspects were really interesting, but I particularly liked just the. Um, like towards the end with the international stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I had heard of films like the white reindeer. Yeah. Um, some of like the, the, some of the Japanese stuff I've seen. Some of it was really cool. Like these, some of the Australian stuff was like, I mean like, like wake and fright I've seen, I actually own that one. Mm -hmm. um, but like there was like Allison's birthday was yeah. one that I um, I'm trying to find now. And it, well, it's it's like you said, Andre. It's like your your list. Oh yeah, like goes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, like like White Ranger was instantly 
I'm like, like, nope, we're watching that. That's what's going to yep. happen. I love it. Yeah, so so folks at home, uh, check it out if you can. It's uh, I would definitely second Andre's recommendation that you you kind of space it out a little bit because it's a lot mm-hmm. and not in a bad way. It's just like so much and you're going to be thinking about each if you're anything like us, each segment's ma- going to make you, you know, think about, okay, where can I find this? I want to see yeah. this one. And a little time to digest is going to be nice, but it's it's great. It's well-paced. And um, super fun. Uh, during the credit roll, it does list every single film mentioned. So if you want to, you can just like pause it and, you know, write it down or whatever. Um, there is um, mm-hmm. a kind, kind soul has created a letterbox list of every movie uh, yeah, mentioned. So saw, you can also look it up there yeah. if you, if you um, want to like, track them down. How many movies did you see of, uh, oh, see out of that? Let's see. Do you remember? Um, I have seen 20. <laughs> so I have seen, um, oh. let me look. I have seen 68 out of to they this one lists 218 films. yeah some of them are aren't uh folk horror like because some of them were mentioned in passing yeah uh so like of the total list I, i've only seen like 25 of uh oh hold on a second i gotta turn off, turn off my filters so nope I, okay so i've seen 36 of 218 <laughs> That's that's still really good. So mine's like at thirty one percent at sixty eight out of two hundred and eighteen. But I need to watch more of these movies, man. Like some of them, I mean, well, all of them sound kind of like amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, like Eyes on Fire. Have you guys seen that? I I, I actually that. have. Yeah. Um. That that was a recommendation that I got from uh from listening to a podcast uh, Rebecca McKendry was on, and I I jumped at the chance to check that out and. Thankfully, um, because uh, I live near Scarecrow Video, they had a copy, so I was able to watch it. It was a VHS oh, nice. copy. I, I think it's getting a disc release at some point. I don't know if that's true or if it's happened. I'm not even sure, but um, mm-hmm. I, I was able to watch it, although it was it was kind of like a, uh, a murky copy, so I might want to give it another shot, but I yeah. do remember watching it. And it's just very dreamlike and like hazy so so one thing i will add before we move on is i really like that it featured jug face which was a movie yes. that i i shouted i literally <laughs> shouted in the rooftops um i was like i feel like i was like one of the few people that was like writing about it and obsessed with it dude i was and literally I actually, going to mention yeah. that like it, like a couple minutes ago nice. because I fucking love that movie and more people need to see it. One that I was... Well, oh, and go like, ahead. You can still talk about Jackface. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say I got to talk to Chad, um, the director, and he's... A, he's like one of the nicest guys like ever. And like B, it was kind of cool because um, I was telling him some folk stories from like the area that I'm from and he was like pretty fascinated with that stuff. And I am actually friends with the guy that makes these jugs. Like he actually makes and sells them. Oh, he's cool. On, he's on Instagram. I can actually see what his Instagram is really quick. We all but, need jug based um, jugs. Yeah. And he's like, I mean, super talented. Um, but yeah, like, and, and just um, all around a really nice guy. Um, 
but yeah, Chuck Face is awesome, and I'm glad that this um, this documentary is like finally highlighting that. It's like you know, I it, it's definitely like one of those that like I was so obsessed with. I like interviewed Chad for my my little rinky dink vlog, um, just you know trying to help get the word out. But anyways, it's mm-hmm. I'm glad that it's having some some uh, attention. Ditto. Love it. Um, good recommendation. Check out the doc. Check out Jug Face. Yeah. It's super great. Okay, so what I picked one that kind of feels like it uh, it walks the line between documentary and fiction, and and documentary in terms of its context, not in terms of its plot. Um, I picked the for this entry the twelve day tale of the monster that died in eight. Uh. So it's a, and it's by director uh, Shunji Ey, by the way. So I got to tell you the context first. It's obvious. So it was, it was filmed and made during COVID shutdown, which is, I mean, we're not in hardcore shutdown really in the U.S., but obviously we're still not. COVID's not over by any means. But this was filmed and conceived in the point when there was a huge international push of shutdown. I think it was pre, this was made pre vaccine. Um, Yeah, it definitely was. So in Japan, you know, a a lot of filmmakers now, now finding themselves bored and at home and probably scared and dealing with it like everyone else. Uh, You know, every, everybody reacted in different ways. And a lot of people tried to, you know, make something in the, in the context. And so it, this film's idea started with um, so Shinji Higuchi uh, co-directed Shin Godzilla, notably. He made this instructional video, quote unquote, with English subtitles that uh, called Kaiju Defeat COVID. (laughs) And it instructed fans on how to post a video selfie with their favorite Kaiju or monster. And the idea is to, um, basically use long story short it's to use little kaiju to quote unquote defeat covid basically pitting monsters versus the virus that was actually plaguing everyone at the time right and it's this cute this is this cute little thing yeah. but then um uh shunji iwai um made a series a 12-part series of short films that basically were stitched into this this longer narrative one called uh, The Twelve-Day Tale of the Monster that Died in Eight. So the series of, of it basically stars um, uh, actor-director uh, Takumi Saito. And and forgive me if my Japanese pronunciation is god-awful. I'm trying real hard. Um, I don't speak the language. I try. Uh, he, he basically stars um, Saito as, as himself in isolation during quarantine which is how it was filmed and he receives three tiny um they call them capsule kaiju so they're these little they look like clay balls it's it's um is what they look like and in the film world they are mini monsters that will hatch and he gets them in order to hit them against the virus (laughs) and uh, you know, there, there's complications, you know, obviously, and I, I'm not going to spoil it. Just just watch it. It's it's charming. But the reference is to um, to capsule monsters 
comes from, and they mention this a few times in the film, the 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 Tonkuatsu series Ultra Seven, which is in the Ultraman mm-hmm. series of, of shows. Um, the hero in Ultra Seven has three capsule kaiju that it uses to battle, you know, villainous kaiju, and so that's where that concept comes from. And it's just an interesting. It's it's basically like it's it's you know it's filmed in quarantine. And it's basically like lots of things filmed in quarantine, uh, a series of dialogues of him and other performers and directors and whatever. And so it's, it's basically just like kind of like host was if, if you folks at home have seen host on shutter, the, the, not the host, but host to the, the hour long one um, where it's a series of like basically recorded zoom co- and other conversations. And uh it's just i don't know it's cute it's mm-hmm. pleasant um it's not revolutionary but it if you uh i i thought that everyone in it was very charming and i think uh because like the the little balls that they have kind of like grow into different figure shapes over time to- over successive quote-unquote days mm-hmm. and it's it pleasant it's yeah. just pleasant Yeah, like it's not uh, earth shattering, but the the my favorite part of it personally is in some of the the uh, main um, conversations. You know, uh, you'll have someone talking about how there's one conversation he had with a a director where it's just like talking about how there are uh, waves of aliens that have invaded japan mm-hmm. and the and and waves of monsters and ghosts it is just mentioned as like a fact of japanese yeah. history <laughs> i love how it uh, just like uh, weaves that into the also very too real reality of um like COVID 19 and like the need to uh, self-quarantine and just like isolate yes yes right right and so um and 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 i just love how it casually suggests this like wider beyond life world like one of the the people in the film reportedly has like an alien that is invisible on yeah. camera and they explain it as that she's holding and they explain it as like oh yeah aliens don't show up on yeah, on video it doesn't work I'm like okay yeah and all right so you can't uh, hear it so <laughs> I, I, th- I thought it was yeah. so so clever and like it's a, such a great yes. way to just like have something be there and also not be there at the same time yeah, exactly, and and they just assert it, and it just suggests this, uh, this just this bigger, lovely world. I think it's it comes from such a cute place where, you know, it, it really does feel like a bunch of folks got together while they were feeling like, presumably the rest of us, mm-hmm. that acknowledge that viruses are a thing even if you can't see them, and um, just uh, decided to do something cute with it, mm-hmm. you know with the, the people that they knew and whatever. And, um, and they, it's got this like implicit world building. That's super fascinating to me. It's just fun. It's cute. I like it. Yeah. No, it was very enjoyable. The, the, the format is like, it's kind of a mishmash of things. So like there, there are some like zoom conversations between, um, uh, there's conversations between, uh, Saito and his director in zoom. And then like, other Zoom conversations between him and uh, Non. 
Uh, but he also is making this uh, like web video series of like how his monster's doing, and then he gives it like updates. And there's even like um, mm-hmm. segments where he's on the couch in his apartment and he's watching other like uh, presumably YouTubers or something like that, uh, also documenting mm-hmm. their um, the progress of their monsters, and he's just sort of comparing. Mm-hmm his monster's growth cycle to someone else's. And it's just like the, the way that he reacts to uh, that. There's a YouTuber video blogger that she takes uh, like videos in her bathtub. And like, she shows you like how, um, how her monster her, uh, capsule Kaiju is progressing. And then he's mm-hmm. just like, Oh, this is way better than mine. Or, you know, he just like makes some like, yeah, it's so comments. earnest. Yeah. It, it, it's just like, that there's something just so very innocent about it and it's um yeah and also just to, to clarify something too like she's in the bathtub but like she's not taking no, a bath there's no water empty. she's fully closed yeah, she's just hanging out she's just being cute yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah it's, it's so like lighthearted and innocent and um the once the the movie ends like you're just kind of like i don't know it's, it just makes you feel really good yeah yeah exactly like it's just like incredibly charming more than anything else because it's it's played for such uh earnestness like he really is excited about having monsters to pit against the virus and he really is like he believes it mm-hmm. but yeah so so check it out it's uh it, it's a lovely little window into how filmmakers fictionalized you know how they were dealing with you know, the, the frightening real world thing that we're still all dealing with, kind of. So, um, yeah, check it out. Mike, would you like to talk about your second pick? Yeah. Um, this one is um, called Baby Don't Cry. Um, it's a quick plot summary is uh, Baby's a withdrawn and sensitive 17 year old Chinese immigrant from a troubled home and is living on the outskirts of Seattle. One day she meets a 20-year-old delinquent named Fox. Together they embark on a twisted journey to escape their hopeless fate. Mm. And it's uh, definitely probably sounds like the heaviest of the movies that we're probably going to be covering um, today. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also maybe one of my favorites so far. And I actually got to... um, talk to the two leads um and the producer um which was really fun um so yeah um it is a painfully awkward coming of age story but it's uh told through this really smart and interesting um perspective of a chinese american immigrant the lead actor yeah, so she uh, she stars and she co-wrote and created these characters, um, and it's uh, it's how to describe it is almost feels like um, like it kind of has the quirkiness of Ghost World, but it also um, feels a little like uh, it could be definitely part of like Welcome to the Dollhouse, um, like tonally. And then maybe kind of mix that with natural born killers a little bit. Cool. Um, so, 
I'm sure most of the listeners are probably well aware of all of all or most of those movies, but, um, you know, that it's kind of the best way to, I guess, describe like the, um, like the, the feeling and, um, just kind of like how this movie, like it, it's, it's very dark. And it was interesting when I was doing the, um, press with, um, the producer and the, um, actors, uh, I kind of described it as like a dark fairy tale and I, they were all really, um, they all thought that was a really apt kind of, um, way to describe it. Um, yeah, like there's, uh, this, this really interesting use of, um, really fantastic animation and, um, like they use kind of animal, um, iconography to, um, kind of like further, I think enhances kind of like this um, almost like fairy tale, almost kind of like, um, I mean, it could almost be like um, folk horror and um, some of its kind of um, imagery, like, like the mom actually is like um, portrayed as being like, like she has like pig ears. Interesting. Um, but it's never, it's never really talked about. It's just, it is what it is. I mean, you know, obviously it's maybe something like how, um, the main character like sees her mother, like her mother's like abusive and, um, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of ways to say stuff without getting into spoiler territory, but, um, she's not a great person. So, um, yeah, you yeah. know, it, it's really tragic and it kind of gives you gives you some um, insight, obviously, into like baby and her um, background. And um, again, there's this importance of Chinese culture, which I thought was really fascinating uh, and and um, added like contextually a really nice layer Um but yeah, it's good. It's dark. It's uh, very uncomfortable. Um, there's times that um, you definitely feel like you squirm a lot. Um, but I, I think it's it's good. It's not like shocking for the sake um, to just shock. And this is something that I talked about um you know, with Zeta, who, like I said, wrote and stars as Baby. And, um, you know, that it's not just like, um, like it's meant to provoke a feeling, but it's not like, like it's not without purpose yeah. um, or value. So um, it's uh, good. Have, have you all seen it yet? I, I actually have not seen I it don't. yet, no. So, I mean... That this is on my list. Is this one that I haven't gotten to yet? Um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it now, though. Yeah, yeah, it's one that like didn't get a lot of buzz, but I just thought that um, it's like the synopsis was really interesting, and I kind of like, um, you know, like the kind of outsider story, um, which this very much is, and um, and, you know, this is another thing that I brought up, um during our, our interview um, talking about just how like, um, you know, Fox and baby and just everybody is just such an outcast and, and, 
and such misfits, but like the film uh, and the filmmakers kind of embrace it and don't really judge um, these characters, even though they do some really horrible, yeah. um, really horrible things. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, it's, um, it's really good. It's one of these that I think that um, is maybe hopefully going to be like a sleeper hit. I hope. Um, because yeah. it really is well made. I mean, especially, um, I believe it's the director's first feature, um, Jesse. But yeah, so I mean, it's, I believe it's his first feature film. He might have like made like cool. some short films, but um, yeah, it's, it's really, um, he's really incredibly talented. And, um, you know, I asked Zita why she didn't just direct it herself, or I think I phrased it of like, did you consider um, directing it yourself? And she said yes, but um, I think, you know, having the starring role and also being the writer, she kind of wanted to take, you know, hand it off to somebody she really trusted. Yeah. Sure. Um, to tell like the story. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's great. Um, it's, you know, I mean, it, it really skirts a line of like maybe being a little too all over the place tonally, but I think that it actually kind of works because of the finale, which obviously I can't talk about, but, um, you know, it, it like kind of leads to somewhere where you feel like it's probably pretty inevitable, um, unfortunately, but, um, yeah, it's it's something that um, I could kind of relate with just being like, uh, you know, being around that same age and kind of being like, I mean, it's not that I didn't have friends, but all my friends were also misfits. <laughs> so, and, you know, I mean, being like, um, you know, being like queer and being like, you know, in like a, a small area, um, that's always not fun. So you can always kind of relate to at least, you know, some aspects of, you know, like what the film is, is saying and talking about. So, um, yeah, it's great. It's definitely one of those that, um, it's well worth, um, checking out, if, you know, love it. If you, if you, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one that's pretty easy to kind of maybe like, like skim over, but, um, it, it's definitely one that I think is worth, um, taking the time to check out. Awesome. Thanks for the recommendation. Um, Andre, your choice? Yeah. So uh, I'm going to go a little into the other direction here because uh, th this movie is way less subtle and uh, it has a lot more to do with, um, uh, I guess, yeah, just like traditional monsters. Um, this one is uh, Daniel De La Vega's On the Third Day. Um, so... Mm. Daniel De La Vega has directed a few titles before. Um, so this isn't a first feature or anything. Um, I think some of his more notable films, which I haven't seen these at all, but based on my enjoyment of this movie, I will definitely want to check out his some of his older stuff. Um, but... Uh, so on the third day is about a, a mother and her son and they're about to uh, take a road trip somewhere like, and 
they get into an accident with uh, like an oncoming truck and the truck is towing something like chained to uh, the bed. And it's like this, this old looking wooden crate secured by like a, a couple chains and the accident happens. And then the mother wakes up in a completely different environment. And she realizes after a certain point that it's been three days since the accident. So the rest of the film is her trying to find out what happened to her son, tracking him down, finding out what happened to her. Uh, so she goes through uh, some very like traumatic re like recollections of uh, the crash and piece by piece, mm-hmm. she begins to sort of remember um, what happened, but only in like little chunks. Um, she yeah. ends up uh, meeting with like a, I think a police officer to like try to figure out what's going on, help me find my son. And they eventually come to, a um i'm not even sure what his role is but he knows like hypnotization um is that a word hip uh no uh hypnotization yeah he, he knows like hypnotization techniques and uh attempts to use that to see if she can dig it out from her uh, repressed memory and from there the movie just barrels it is it's not subtle it's um it's very much like uh a a genre flick and it mm-hmm. it has um notable um influences that it uses on blast and for me that it worked quite quite well um and this is only coming from me seeing it the first time uh I have some some ideas about whether or not like the second time might be as effective. Um, but I, I really don't want to get too more detailed into it because um, where it goes is something best experienced rather than described. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It's I had a lot of fun with it, and based on I think if, however you enjoy uh, other uh, films like um, I would say like Day of the Beast, Alex de Iglesias stuff, I, I think that might be a good indicator on whether or not you would be on board uh, for certain parts of On the Third Day or for the whole thing. Um, but mm-hmm. for, for me, it, it totally like it hit my sweet spots. Well, one, thank you for that. Um, I, I, I was definitely engaged with it, but I kind of want to see if, if Mike has anything to discuss about it before I, I chime in. Yes, I have <laughs> lots of thoughts. <laughs> um, so, you know, again, um, like Andre said, this is like first time viewing and I do want to give it a second watch. Um I thought that there was aspects that I really, really like. Um, there was aspects that I thought kind of throw the movie off. Um, I would say like the first maybe 45, 50 minutes are awkwardly paced. 
Um, but um, I do kind of like that it, it does build a mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. mm-hmm. You know, and I so I do appreciate that aspect of it. And um, like even before we recorded, um, we were kind of talking about this and it kind of gave me some like new maybe thoughts. And this is why I think like maybe I'll, maybe I'll appreciate it more on second viewing, but, uh, but I mean, once it gets going though, I think it's um, like, it's paced really well. It's almost like the first and second half, like feel a little disjointed or like maybe like made by different filmmakers. I definitely like, had I, a similar viewing experience. Yeah. Um, well, I think you even mentioned like in DMS that it like the first half felt like, somebody else like made it and i was like yeah i kind of can see that because like there's such there's such a distinct shift where i could literally feel the momentum picking up and i'm like okay now i'm engaged and even Um, the style's a little bit different too because up front there's it's a lot more like disjointed like out of sequence in in time and place um and then it becomes more traditionally structured film maybe in the last half maybe a little sooner um which is so which is such a dish it's such a i don't i don't want to say it was like a bad choice but it was such a strange choice um because you're right it is like it's like very um non-linear until it's not and then it's like yeah okay we're caught up right, now yeah. um so it's almost like i don't know it's 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 really something. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think it's, I, it's visual. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to build on that. Um, that of it being uh, so feeling very disjointed in the beginning. Uh, it, I think it, it, it's trying to acclimate you to, um, cause to how it's going to, uh, like explicitly show you things, but not explain them. And there's a lot of that in, third day where um it it depends on a lot of uh like visual language for genre and um actually yeah just mostly genre um films and um a lot of that is in the visual nature of it where the, the the loss of memory has a um as a traumatic traumatic event is something that is like paramount to the rest of how the film goes. And then uh, based on uh, the trajectory of the film, it does um, sort of rely more on uh, the audience being able to notice something that happens for like just for a moment and then uh, being able to translate that to something in your brain about what that means in the moment. It like, it doesn't go back and mm-hmm. like uh, highlight anything. It, it gives you the yeah, clues right. and then it just keeps going. And like, it's not like it's wanting you to catch up to it. It's a, it, you will catch up to it, but it depends on how, how you watch movies, how you connect points in your head. Um, and like for me, I was I was on board. Like uh, I was connecting the dots like crazy. Um, but it, it does go to a place where if you're not catching up with it, you will be like, "What? 
what is this? But uh, <laughs> why is this happening? All yeah, of a it's like yeah. Th- it either comes out of nowhere, or um, you are just like you're you're on board the ride. I mean, either way, you're yeah. on board the ride. But like, whether it comes out of nowhere or not is uh, it's it's based on like just like the super fast pace that it, it picks up. Yeah, I, I feel yeah, like I, these are all good caveats, like really, really relevant ones. Because, um, like, I had a very similar viewing to you, Mike. Uh, and once it got going, I, I did like it quite a bit. And then it made me rethink what I thought up front. But, yeah. I also feel like it, fi- it at the very end, it finally gets to somewhere that I find really interesting. And then the movie stops what I feel like is pretty abruptly. Is, yeah. I definitely wanted it to keep going. Yeah. Like I felt like um, there yeah, exactly. I, I felt a little bit cheated that it spent so much time confusing me and then stopped once it got interesting. You know, it's like if someone talks you up to like, Oh no, we're going to this party. Greatest party ever gonna freaking love it um cool and then you drive you walk up to the door and then they don't let you in the fucking party <laughs> like yeah i didn't hate it it's not um, a bad film but i also like was a little bit disappointed at the, the end yeah i mean it, it's 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 definitely one of those movies that you have to pay absolute minute attention to yeah. and even then i still think that there's like things that maybe are a little bit confused or maybe something that could have been maybe ironed out in like another draft. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't need my movies like spoon fed to me. Like I, um, you know, I, I, I can intuitively pick up on a lot without, you know, it needing to be like telegraphed to me. Like, but the thing is like, there are, very crucial plot points that I think that it doesn't do a good enough job selling you or like explaining, but, but, you know, I mean, again, it, it does pick up like the, the visual effects. Well, the, the whole visual motif for the movie, yeah. I, I really liked. And then the special effects, like, especially towards the end were like yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just like, there was like, it's so weird because I, I do want to give it a second watch now that I like know what it's about. And like, I mean, yeah, the biggest part, the biggest problem I had was it didn't grip me like I wanted it to. So I was not that engaged or invested and I probably maybe missed some things. But when you have a movie that's kind of like that, that that it's like you have to, um, you know, whether you like it or not, you have to be invested and engaged like to pick up little clues and little plot points. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I think that, um, you know, the audience does need to pay strong attention to every movie, but like, you know, you have, you feel like you have to do a lot of heavy lifting, connecting the pieces sometimes for my liking. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, but still, uh, I would say it's 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 worth uh, worth a view for the folks at home if they get a chance to see it. Yeah, um, yeah and it, obviously, it's by no means, of, yeah. Oh yeah, and and obviously, just from our discussion, I know Andre really connected with you, like, um, and uh, so there's definitely like a lot of great things about it, and also I think sometimes it, it might be one of those ones that for some people 
takes more than one viewing to really feel it. You yeah, know? yeah, it's um, it's just definitely something that like I had a lot of fun with, especially uh, once the third act rolled around, and yeah, like I I was willing to uh, f- forgive it for its faults. I'm like, I don't know if it was possibly like like with the pacing in the first second third acts uh of the structure if it was uh specifically written into the film or if it was like an editing decision or something Mm -hmm. like that but um for me the the conclusion and uh like the journey leading right up to that uh just completely like sealed it for me and like that's cool that's what uh made me feel like that i wanted to champion this one so much and also it's it does have a little stinger at the end of the credits so like if you if you do end up watching it uh let the credits roll and like there's a there's a fun little thing at the end uh made me really happy yeah Uh, thank you for that and for for my final one i picked uh a film that will be uh, available um, a little bit later in, in Fantasia, depending on when we release this episode, uh, called The Spine of Night. Uh, it's not... Uh, it was actually premiered internationally at South by Southwest, but it's an animated, very adult horror tale that um, I really connected with. I really liked it. So it's... Um, Co-directed by Philip Gillat and Morgan Galen King, who who wrote, co-wrote the script, and it it's a completely unique cinematic world. They're not building off of other things. It it so the, the film focuses on this female protagonist, Saad, uh, voiced by Lucy Lawless, who's uh, an exiled swamp witch. Oh, cool! And she has this. Uh, her her people have this connection. Uh, to this mysterious and powerful blue flower where when you consume it, it gives you certain abilities. So her people are, and she are, are betrayed and slaughtered, unfortunately, by this, um, uh, this other more developed power. And then the, the scholar that betrayed her takes the remainder of this. The, the flower is very rare and basically consumes them and, and has, as, these goals of world domination, right? So he becomes darker and more powerful and builds an empire. And she and a band of protagonists have to, to basically halt his, his design designs for world domination. And it's a really visceral, bloody or unique cinematic experience. Like it's it's got a, kind of that old school style of animation that that like like feels like heavy metal or um or like uh, paprika so like those older more um, bloody vicious stories mm-hmm. uh, definitely not for kids it's just really fun and and uh, unique world building that I think that the filmmakers really pull off well oh, that sounds awesome like a uh something like a, a ralph bakshi inspired um like animation style or like rotoscoped or something like that 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, it also has this kind of undercurrent of like, because it gets deep into the the film's original mythos, and it has this real like cosmic cynicism okay. about it, where there's like uncaring gods and like uh it's not quite cosmic horror but if you like that sort of thing of this like the universe is vast and uncaring and uh the more powerful thing is the more like other and mysterious uh if you like that this is definitely for you i think nice yeah that sounds pretty cool um yeah i like a good kind of um like like so is it it's um like it it leans heavily into like fantasy or more horror or just like it's definitely like like more horror fantasy okay yeah i really like those sword and sorcery um, uh titles and especially like there's not a lot of animated sword and sorcery stuff that isn't like geared towards a younger audience um yeah 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 exactly and then I also like how like the originality of the world is is just it's really really nice to see that these days when so much um, genre materials you know remakes are, are based off of pre existing IPs and it's just nice to see something novel. No, that's cool because I know the husband and I both really like um, high fantasy kind of stuff, and he's not into really gory stuff. But like if it has a really good story and it's it's you know maybe kind of inter- intersects with some of the more graphic stuff i think it's a little more palatable um is it like super gory it's it's gory it it earns its uh it, it earns its nice. horrificness yeah yeah it looks like the cast is pretty well stacked as well i'm just linking it up here mm-hmm. uh, like you mentioned lucy lawless is a uh, is voicing a character yes. is also richard e grant uh Patton oswalt has a mm-hmm. role oh, nice. as well as larry Joe Mantello, yeah, uh, Larry Fessenden. Um, yeah, th- this looks like it's going to be an absolute blast. And like, I, I can't wait to- for this to be available through Fantasia. Yeah, it's uh, the 14th. Uh, well, I don't know when our availability, but for, for the folks at home, uh, its first premiere will be uh, August 14th. Okay. So next Saturday. I'm kind of hoping it's like a very hard R like Black Cauldron. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. Yeah. Like that's, Ter- terrible things happen <laughs> and it's kind of like that oh nice okay but at that the folks at home will look forward to future episodes we'll be we'll be covering the festival all month effectively and probably a little bit afterwards because it um there's there's so many great films and even shorts in this year's fantasia selection and uh thank you for spending some time with us and uh and hopefully you get a chance to check out some of the festival offerings yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, thank you, Mike and Andre, for coming on. Um, as always, tell the folks at home where they can find you. Uh, so I am on Twitter at Strange Cinema sixty five. Um, you can find my book, The Ultimate Guide to Strange Cinema, on Amazon. And that's it. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, I'm on Twitter at Fritz Merrill H. That's uh, F R I T Z M E R R I L L H. I'm thinking about changing that at some point, but for now, that's that's where I am. Uh, also on Letterboxd, if you want to read every single little thing I have to say about movies, um, you can find me there as Hamburger Harry. Love it. Thank you so much. And thank you both for being on the show uh, today for this episode. And then folks at home, you can uh, find me at Real Jeff Ewing on Twitter, uh, where I'm most active, or 
find me here, which you know you already did. Um, but uh, stay tuned uh, and join us next time. Once more, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of record human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares. They've been our protectors and our villains. They've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization. The need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive. (laughs) 